The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one servant he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now the one who'd received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also the one who received the two made two talents more, but he who'd received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master returned to settle accounts with his servants. And the one who'd received the five talents came forward with five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So too, the one who'd received the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who'd received the one talent, came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid and I hid your money in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. And the master said to that servant, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scatter no seed? You therefore should have invested my money at least with the bankers, that at my coming I would have received what is mine with interest. So take his talent and give it to the one who has ten. For whoever has, even more will be given it to them, and they will be given it in abundance. And to those who have not, even what they have will be taken from them. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where we will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Matthew to record these words of Jesus that these words not only had power in the day that Matthew wrote them, but these words have power today because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, send your Holy Spirit now to open this word for us, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Where do we find courage to fearlessly use the talents that God has given us? Where do we find the courage to fearlessly use the talents that God has given us? In this parable of the talents here in Matthew chapter 25, if you turn there with me in your own Bibles or in the Pew Bibles, you'll see at verse 14 and 15 that the parable begins with a master going on a journey and, verse 14, entrusting his property to his servants. The beginning of this parable is a reminder that what is given to these servants is not their own. It's entrusted to them from the master. It's the master's own possessions. But verse 15 then describes the amount 
that he gives to them. It says, to the one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. The talents, and when we hear that word, we think of it very differently than what it means in the Greek, at least initially. See, here in the Greek, in the New Testament, a talent is a weight of measurements. It represented an amount of currency. A talent represented 20 years of wages. So in contemporary language, depending on in contemporary worldview, depending on how we sort of count a daily or a yearly wage, 20 years of wages is like you're talking about a million dollars as a talent. So the master is entrusting these talents, this property to his servants. But isn't it interesting that the word talent today is used in the more figurative sense? Right? We use talent to describe someone who has a particular ability or aptitude, something that they have innately given within them, an ability. That's their talent. And do you know why we use the word talent today that way? Because this parable of the talents has infected and impacted and transformed the whole English language. In English, German, Greek, well, it's from the Greek, in English, German, French, Italian, Latin, talents, which now means an ability or a given aptitude, is rooted in this parable. In fact, if you look in the Oxford English Dictionary, you know those gigantic dictionaries you need a magnifying glass to read with? My prized possession is my OED in my office because I kind of geek out on words. But you know what it says when you read talent? It says a weight of measurement in the Greek, but figuratively understood to be aptitude or ability from Matthew 25, 14 to 30. It's in the Oxford English Dictionary. This parable transformed a Western understanding of what a talent is. And the reason that this parable has been so powerful and infected even the vocabulary we use is because this question stands at the very heart of what it means to be human. Am I using the talents that I've been given? Every human being in every generation asks this question. Whenever I hear this parable, my first question is, am I the man burying my talent? Am I the man burying my talent in the ground? We often bury our talents out of fear, right? We're, we're afraid. It's like the uh, state trooper who pulls uh, the woman over, she's driving a little fast on the tollway, and so the Texas state trooper pulls her over, and uh, as she hands over her license, she also hands over her concealed carry permit. And I can only tell this joke in Texas. And, and, and the, the state trooper then says, oh, well, ma'am, do you have a gun in the vehicle? And she says, uh, yes, I have a, um, a, a Colt 45 in the glove compartment and a Glock 40 in my center console and a 357 Magnum in my purse. And uh, the state trooper says, wow, man, that, ma'am, that's a lot of firepower. What are you afraid of? And she says, oh, absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I'll tell you, the fear we have that we're not using our talents well that we're not creatively and courageously using the talents that God has given us. That fear can only be solved with the gospel. You see, in this parable of the talents, we hear the good news of God, the good news about these talents that God has entrusted to us. And here's the good news. The good news we see here is that God, first of all, has entrusted talents to you personally. 
That it wasn't accidental the way God wired you and the way God has gifted you both materially and with your own abilities. It was done personally for you. But not only has God entrusted you with talents personally, but he's done it purposefully. He has a purpose in mind for you and I to use those talents. And it's an even greater purpose than we could imagine. But not only does God entrust us these talents personally and purposefully, but God entrusts these talents to us with a promise. And there's the gospel. There's a promise that comes with this entrusted talent. And so we start with the fact that God has entrusted us with our talents personally. In verse 15, we're told that he gave five talents to one, two talents to another, and to another one, to each according to his ability. In other words, none of these three servants received the same gift. Right? It wasn't the same or given in the same measure. They all received a different amount of this gift and a different kind of this gift, you could say. And we need to realize that early on when we start talking about talents before God. I thank God that my parents didn't tell me the lie growing up. My parents didn't lie to me saying as I was growing up, oh, Paul, you can do whatever you want to be. You can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do in this world. I had parents that, you know, would say, Paul, there's some things you ain't going to be able to do very well. I mean, they knew that I was not very athletic. I wasn't very mechanically or scientifically minded. But man, you put me in front of people, the boy won't stop talking. (laughs) Right? We, We know that we're not all wired the same. We all are gifted differently from God personally. I love those words from Psalm 139. I praise you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God planned from the very beginning, the way you and I would be wired and gifted. He knew what he was going to entrust us with because he knows us personally. He knew what he was doing when he gave you the talents he entrusted you with. I like how Fred Rogers, I'm looking forward to the Mr. Rogers movie coming up for Thanksgiving. I think we all need a little bit of Mr. Rogers right now. The Mr. Rogers movie, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, that's coming out. I love these words that were spoken over me as a child through his television programming. This Presbyterian, ordained Presbyterian minister, Fred Rogers, who used media as a way to impact a generation and generations. He said this once. He said, as human beings, our our job in life as human beings is to help people realize how rare and valuable each one of us really is. That each of us has something no one else has or ever will have. Something inside us that is unique to all time. And it's our job to encourage each other to discover that uniqueness and provide ways of developing its expression. You have been entrusted with talents personally by God. And he knows 
who you are and he knows why he gave them to you. But it's also the gospel is that you have been entrusted with talents with a promise. Well, I skipped a sex. I'll come back. Purposefully. I, I'm convinced I need reading glasses, but I'm refusing to wear them. God has entrusted his talents to you purposefully. Um, personally and purposefully. Verse 16. I mean, the print can't get any bigger on this page. Verse 16. It says, The servant who received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also the one who received the two talents made two talents more. Traded with these talents is the language of working them, of doing business with them, utilizing them. They were using the talents, and the talents bore more talents. These servants, we need to realize, are not doing something exceptional with the talent, but they're doing what's expected with the talent. Note the strange honesty of the master in verse 26. You know, the accusation from the third servant is, you, you know, you reap where you do not sow and you scatter where you, you, you gather where you scatter no seed. And the master actually says, you knew that I reap where I don't sow. You knew that I gather where I scatter no seed. The master says, you're absolutely right. My whole view is always about expansion. The master never gives talents so that we will simply guard them and hold them and keep them as they are. The master gives talents for the sole purpose that they will be used and expanded. It's an expectation that we work and use these talents. And it's the very heart of the biblical story. In Genesis chapter 12, we read in that call of Abraham that God comes to this man and says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. And then verse three, and through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, God is saying, I'm giving my blessing to you, not so it's something that you can just hang on to for yourself. Abram, I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing to the world. That's the exponential nature of God's talents. They're always meant to grow and be worked, to be expanded for the sake of others. And it's not about the amount we've been given. Note that in verse 21 and 23, to the servant who's received the five talents and the servant who's received the two, the servant who's ultimately resulted in 10 talents and the servant that's resulted in four talents, they both get the exact identical word of commendation from their master, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? There's, there's no difference. It's not like the one with the 10, he goes, wow, you know, you're the best. You're the servant of the week. And the other one, well, hey, satisfactory, we're not going to fire you. No, to both of them, he says, with the amount that you've been given, the talents that I personally have given to you, and I knew you could handle, and I knew you could work, and I knew you could trade with them, that you have done exactly what I expected. You've seen them grow. Well done. But here's what's amazing is the purpose that God has given us these talents for, to, to work them, to use them, so they can grow and expand and bless others. That's actually not the complete final story on the purpose that God gives us these talents. What's interesting in verse 21 and 23 as well, the master says to the servants, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And you want to say, 
over a little? I mean, five talents is like $5 million. Two talents, $2 million, that's a little? You're now going to set us over much? And the point is, the master has been preparing them for a greater purpose even than this. The master is saying, what is about to come that you are about to be responsible for and entrusted with is so much greater than what I've given you now. And this is why in verse 29, he says, you will be given an abundance. See, the abundance is nothing less than the fulfillment of what it means to be human. The master has been preparing us with what he gives us now entrusting us to steward and care and work and use these talents given in this life for the purpose that when we come to the new heavens and the new earth, then Revelation chapter 22, finally we will do what God has intended humanity to do from the very beginning. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, and they, the people of God, the people of the Lamb, and they will reign forever and ever. And you want to say, No, it's Jesus reigns. No, Jesus reigns and we reign beside him. This is what it means in Genesis 1 when God says to the man and the woman in the garden, have dominion over this creation. That from the very beginning, the project of humanity is about turning us and transforming us into the kind of people who can reign over the cosmos with Jesus Christ as our elder brother and true King of kings and Lord of lords. We will rule with him over this creation. That's the more yet to come. What you have now is to train you for that future glory. And this is, of course, why it is November Stewardship Month. We have to apply this as well, not just to internal talents, but to the physical, material blessings God has poured into our lives. We are to steward what God has placed in our hands, the finances, the means that he's given us well. Not just so we can say, well, I've been obedient. I've been obedient to God. You know, I don't really like to give my money away to the church, but you know, I'm obedient. I surrender. No, it's to see this as opportunity that says what God has given you now into your hands financially and as you use it for his kingdom is training you for a future glory to reign over the cosmos. If you think about the way you give your money as a training program. See, so often we think about our material possessions as kind of like everything in our lives. Like, man, I can't survive without this. And, and, and we don't want to admit that in church, but it's true. Like, it just surrounds us. Uh, we, we worry about money. We think about money. We stand under our money. And God says, this is, this, is not, this is a little. This is a little compared to what I'm going to entrust you with in heaven. So will you be faithful with this little? You know, it's like the man who comes to the pastor and says, you know, I need you to pray for me, pastor. Because, I, you know, I've been reading the Bible and, you know, it calls for me to tithe, you know, give 10% of my income. And I just, my income is too great It's just just too big to tithe. So will you pray with me? And the pastor says, sure, I'll pray with you. Father, would you reduce this man's income to the level where he feels he can start tithing? This is a little that we've been entrusted with. Soon and very soon, you and I will be entrusted with so much more. This is preparing us for that eternal purpose. 
The way we steward our talents today is preparing us for the day when we will reign with Christ over the cosmos. And it seems too much, doesn't it? I mean, already I'm feeling the weight and the burden of this parable. I I can hear the good news that God has personally entrusted me with the talents I have. I can hear the good news that it's for a purpose, but then the weight of this just sits on me. And that's why we need to hear the gospel, the true gospel that is found in the fact that with these talents being entrusted to you and I, they come with a promise. See, in verses 24 and 25, we get a window into the heart of the third servant, what has immobilized him. Verse 24, the man says, I knew of the master. I knew you, master, to be a hard man, so I was afraid. In other words, the fear he had was rooted in his view of who the master was. He saw the master as a hard, exacting master and therefore was afraid. See, fear will immobilize our courage to use the talents we've been given. Fear will immobilize our courage to work our talents, to risk our talents, to be creative with our talents. As the American psychologist Abraham Maslow, you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He writes this, he says, an individual engages in learning to the extent that he or she is not crippled by fear. An individual engages in learning to the extent that he or she is not crippled by fear and to the extent that he or she feels safe enough to dare. Safe enough to dare. This third servant does not feel safe enough to dare because he doesn't really know his master. When he says, I knew you to be a hard man, he is declaring that he doesn't know the master because this master is not a hard master. You see, the master, if you and I know him, know him through the gospel, know him through word and sacrament every week, hearing who this master is, we know at the core that he is not a hard man And as we know this master, we know that this talent comes with a promise, a promise specifically regarding our failures. Hear me. The scariest verse in this parable is at the very end. Verse 30, right, where the servant, the wicked servant, gets cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I mean, right there, I'm like, okay, I am afraid then to use this talent wrongly. But in fact, as we read this in light of the story that is unfolding, of of the chapters that are to follow, Matthew 25, 26, 27, and then 28, as we read the whole gospel story and read this parable and this verse about the outer darkness and the weeping of gnashing of teeth, as we read it in light of the gospel, suddenly we realize that this verse is gospel. What do I mean? I mean this. The wicked servant, hear me, the wicked servant gets cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, verse 30 says. And what that ultimately is indicating is the outer darkness is a place of darkness, it's a place of abandonment, it's a place of forsakenness, it's a place of being condemned, right? 
But what's interesting is when we hear through this parable the language of servants, six different times in this parable, we hear servant, 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 servant. That is meant to cue us. It's like a gospel code word for the Bible. Because you see, the servant in all of Scripture, the true servant was always meant to be Israel. Israel was God's servant called to be entrusted with the blessings of God, to be a blessing to the nations. And Israel failed again and again to be the faithful servant. And so into this failure came the hope for a Messiah. Isaiah, the great prophet, prophesied in four different servant songs, as they've been called, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and Isaiah 52 and following. These servant songs which were anticipating and looking forward to a new kind of servant who would come. My servant. My servant will come. And this new messianic servant would not only, hear this, would not only succeed where Israel had failed, But this messianic servant would in fact bear the condemnation and punishment for Israel's servant failure. As that final servant song in Isaiah 52 and 53 tells us, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And all of a sudden when we turn the page... In chapter 53, we understand what high and lifted up refers to. His exaltation is the exaltation on a wooden cross. For this servant, it goes on to say, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. We all failed to be the servants God called us to be. We are all those wicked, slothful servants. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord laid on him, his Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Suddenly we realize in verse 30 that as the wicked servant is told to be thrown into the outer darkness where he is abandoned and he's forsaken and he's condemned for all the failures of the failed servants. Suddenly the words of Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46 come to fulfillment. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi. Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cast into the outer darkness. He wept and was subject to the gnashing of the teeth of condemnation of his accusers. He was bearing my failure to be a good and faithful servant. He was bearing your failure to be a good and faithful servant. Which means 
these talents entrusted to us by God come with the promise. And the promise is this. Do not be afraid to fail as you use your talents because I have already borne your failures. Dare to use them. You will fail. You will fall down. You will be crushed at times. But you will always be forgiven. Where do we find courage to fearlessly use the talents that God has given us? Today, we need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the good news that the talents God has entrusted you and I with were done so personally. He knew what he was doing when he gave them to us. But they've been entrusted to us purposefully. That they are to be used, to be worked, to be grown, to be creatively and courageously used in this world for his glory. And it will train us for the future entrusting of creation that he will give to us. But not only that. Hear the good news that the talents entrusted to us are given with a promise. As you go out and use them and fear you might fail, fear not, for I have borne your failures in the outer darkness already. You are secure. You are safe. You should be fearless and dare to use them. One of my heroes is a, what was at the time, a pretty unknown Eastern Canadian Newfoundland bishop from Canada. And as he saw in his early retirement, settling into rest, and he saw biblically Orthodox clergy across his nation getting deposed and congregations sued for their buildings and their finances as they stood up for the gospel. This bishop came out of retirement, the only one in all of Canada, the only bishop, and he began to gather and to protect these deposed clergy and congregations and to shepherd them, and he was reviled by so many. I will never forget the day that I was deposed by a heretical bishop for standing for the gospel. I'll never forget the phone call I received that evening. Those words on the other end of the phone, I didn't even know this man yet. And he said, Father Paul, this is Bishop Don Harvey. You've been through the fire, but you're now under my care as your new bishop. It's my job to ensure that your ministry continues. Friends, I believe that I'm in ministry still today because Bishop Don Harvey dared to use the talents that God had entrusted him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.